you know, I think going to war with the happiest place on earth and this company that is a huge corporation, but it's known as, you know, creating entertainment and happiness for children is not really a good strategy for DeSantis. Welcome to another episode of America Explained, the podcast that brings the important voices and perspectives shaping American politics, foreign policy and culture to an international audience. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of America Explained, the podcast about American foreign policy and politics for an international audience. Today, we're going to be talking about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. You've probably heard of Ron DeSantis. He's been talked about for a long time as the most likely possible challenger to Trump to win the Republican primary, so the nomination for president in 2024. But recently, his fortunes have taken a turn for the worse. All of the confidence, or much of the confidence surrounding the viability of his candidacy has been evaporating. And in this episode, we're going to explore why that is and what it tells us about the grip that Trump still has on the Republican Party today. I'm joined today by Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Andy. Great to have you here. And it's great to bring you another episode of America Explained. If you enjoy America Explained, please tell a friend about the podcast to help us grow. Also, please consider checking out our newsletter. You can find a link to that in the show notes. If you subscribe to the newsletter, then once or twice a week, you'll get a post, an email, uh, doing what we do best here at America Explained. So I'm going to start just by talking a little bit about who Ron DeSantis is and also who he was, because he's been through various incarnations over the last decade or so. So DeSantis first ran as a politician in 2012 when he entered the House of Representatives. He was a very like Tea Party aligned lawmaker. He was a member of the Freedom Caucus, which was kind of the group that the Tea Party Republicans had in Congress. He was very, very um, signed on to the fiscal politics of that era, which were all about cutting benefits, cutting healthcare, reducing spending, getting rid of the kind of programs that help working and middle-class Americans financially. But as Trump came on the scene and as Trump kind of begun his ascent through Republican politics, like most members of the Freedom Caucus, DeSantis really got on the Trump train very early. He was a very, very vocal supporter of Donald Trump. So then when DeSantis went to run for governor of Florida in 2018, he was facing a difficult primary He wasn't really that well known. There were many, many other Republicans in that race, but he got this crucial endorsement from Donald Trump. And when he got, after he got endorsed by Donald Trump, he went on to win the Republican primary for governor of Florida. Then he went on to win the election of governor of Florida and to become the governor. Now he only won that election by 0.4%. He was running against Andrew Gillum, who was a well-known mayor of Tallahassee, big democratic figure in Florida politics, and DeSantis just squeaked through. But then it's really what he's done since then that has made him into a national figure, made him into a figure that many national Republicans were excited about and saw as someone with a future. And that was kind of demonstrated in 2022 when he managed to win the re-election as governor of Florida by nearly 20%. So he really, really has been a pretty popular governor of Florida. He's really benefited from a lot of the weaknesses 
successes of the Democratic Party in that state that we'll talk about in a minute. But this electoral performance and, and the way that he handled himself during the pandemic era led m many right-wing media figures to talk about him as a viable challenger to Trump. Someone who could maybe beat Trump and then become a more electable, kind of more mainstream Republican candidate for presidency. So, well, maybe Catherine, maybe you can fill us in a little bit about those policies that DeSantis has been pursuing in Florida and his agenda and why Republicans have liked that so much. Yeah, exactly. So as you said, he's seen as sort of a more mainstream Trump. So they, the two of them have a lot of similar worldviews and policies, but DeSantis is seen as someone who, you know, is not likely to make some large faux pas on the international stage and is a bit more traditional in that sense. But as governor, lately a lot of his focus has been on these sort of right-wing culture war policies, so things tied to critical race theory and transgender issues, and also especially these issues in schools. Some of these policies include the so-called don't say gay law that bans teachers from discussing any LGBT issues in schools. Also, the recent book ban law that allows parents or anyone really to complain about a book being present in a school library and to have those books banned. And then also restrictions against universities, um, regulating them, preventing them from having diversity, equity, inclusion programs and you know, risking losing funding if they don't comply. But also during the coronavirus pandemic, that was when DeSantis kind of rose to the national stage. So he was known for being opposed to these national measures that were, you know, advocated for by Anthony Fauci and the CDC, such as vaccine mandates and school closures and restaurant closures and mandatory masking. And Florida was sort of portrayed as this success story that was able to do really well despite having fewer restrictions. And in reality, it was kind of middle of the road, like they did fine, but they weren't the best in the country or the worst in the country. And so this narrative, though, really made Florida seem like they were able to do really well, even though they didn't have these measures, which occurred both during the Trump administration and then later in the Biden administration. But, you know, aside from these kind of culture war issues and the things to do with COVID that are quite divisive, under his tenure, Florida hasn't been doing very well in other areas such as school funding and health care and wage growth. And so even though he's known for these, you know, woke issues and whatnot, his actual record as a governor is kind of questionable. Yeah. And I think that that really says a lot about where the Republican base is right now and also where kind of Republican elites are now that they saw DeSantis as a possible really effective national politician because he spent so much time on these divisive culture war issues, right? There's not really a great deal of evidence that DeSantis does a great job of administering his state and governing his state and delivering the kinds of things that people usually care about. But what he does do a really good job of is inserting himself into these divisive fights and then getting a lot of media attention. And I think that people looked at that and they said, okay, well, that's what Trump does. So here we have someone else who can do that, who can really kind of whip up, you know, the masses or the Republican masses about this issue and get a lot of media attention. But I think that that's not all that Trump does and that actually many of kind of the bread and butter elements of politics that go along with being a national politician are what DeSantis is seeming to fail at right now. So he seems to do a really, really bad job of cultivating the donors and the media figures and the state level Republican officials that you need for a serious primary campaign. So there's all of these stories about how like 
he'll go to a function that's been thrown in his honor for him to meet donors and he'll just like arrive late stand in the corner and not talk to anybody and then leave and he's not like a charismatic person at all and that comes across really clearly if you ever see him speak publicly but it also seems that he's really bad at cultivating relationships and that's a big big part of politics and so i mean there's this there's this good story um by a Florida congressman called Greg Stuber, who a couple of weeks ago, he announced that he was endorsing Donald Trump rather than DeSantis. And the media went to him and said, well, why did you do this? You know, we, we thought you'd go for DeSantis. And Stuber told two stories, one about DeSantis, one about Trump. And the one about DeSantis he told was that a couple of years ago when a hurricane hit Florida, he was invited to go and appear alongside the governor at a press event to talk about what was happening and, and the response. And then when he arrived at the event, DeSantis' aide said to Greg Stuber, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. You're not part of this event, so just go home. And then another story he told was that, so in January of this year, Stuber ended up in the ICU because he injured himself while he was trimming a tree. And apparently the first phone call that he got was from Donald Trump. And yet to this day, Ron DeSantis has never reached out to him about his health problem, never reached out to him about this emergency that he had. So, like, this is just a, a good example of how DeSantis is not good at playing politics. And I think that he thought he was going to just kind of sit down there in Florida passing laws against LGBT people. And that was going to be like the route to the primary or winning the primary. But it's not working out that way for him. And the, the, the more, well, I don't know, what, what do you think about his lack of charisma and what that means going up against Trump? Yeah, I think it's quite interesting because DeSantis kind of can come across as a bit of a bully sometimes. Like he kind of has the high school jock frat guy vibe, but not in the same way that Trump does, where, you know, Trump can also be a bit of a bully in a way, but he's kind of the bully who can bully the bully. <laughs> In this way, like, I think that in a debate the two with the two of them, Trump would really sweep the floor with DeSantis, honestly. And, you know, he's made fun of him in the past and has called him nicknames like Ron DeSanctimonious and things like that. And I think that it's, you know, a politician who can't have this kind of charisma and, as you said, cultivate these relationships with donors and constituents, or at least appear to, can't really be a successful politician on the national stage. And lately, I was going to call him DeSanctimonious, <laughs> DeSantis has been in the public eye a lot more lately because he was on a book tour where he went to Tokyo and then also London recently. And, you know, being in the public eye more in this case hasn't really helped him. Like, there hasn't been a lot of good press about him and a bit to the contrary. And so if he runs for president, that level of attention will only increase. And I don't think it'll increase in a good way. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't personally respond well to what other people call Donald Trump's charisma. But he definitely does have this kind of charisma that a lot of people respond well to. You know, he is very good at putting himself at the center of attention, establishing ownership of a situation, and getting his opponents so angry that they kind of fall over themselves to, to oppose him. And you don't really see any sign that DeSantis has a good idea for how to deal with that you know like you said I, I can just imagine if like he went up head to head with him in a debate then Trump would just wipe the floor with him completely like Trump just eats people like Ron DeSantis for breakfast you know he's done it before I mean he he wipes the floor with every other 
Republican Party big shot who people said were going to beat him. And DeSantis just doesn't seem to have that killer instinct. He doesn't seem to have that X factor that's going to let him triumph over Trump. So I think that so much of his candidacy was premised on the idea that Trump would just kind of fade away. You know, he'd end up like in prison or he, I mean, he might, I guess. I mean, he could still run for president from prison, but you know, the, the idea was that something would happen to Trump that would just make him not viable. And then DeSantis could just step in there as kind of the successor to Trump. But there's a big difference between, you know, succeeding to the throne of the king and like battling the king for the throne, right? And I just don't think that he's got what it takes to to do that. Let's take a quick break and, and then we'll talk a bit about um, larger features of the electorate, both in Florida and nationally, that also suggest that DeSantis is going to have a tough ride here. You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about the United States for an international audience. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a positive review on your podcast platform. So DeSantis has managed to do really well in Florida. Now, part of that is due to the fact that the Democratic Party in Florida is just really, really ineffective. It's kind of known nationally as a very ineffective organization. It's very bad at doing things like registering voters and turning people out to vote. And that's one reason why Florida has become more of a red state than a swing state. So the last time that the Democrats won Florida was in 2012. And, you know, that was before this kind of racial and educational realignment took place in the American electorate, which was largely a result of Trump. And today's Republican Party, the kind of Trumpified Republican Party, its base voter is a white dude without a college degree. Those are the people that vote for for Trump and, and the Republicans the most reliably. Florida has an awful lot of white dudes without college degrees. It does have a fairly large Hispanic population, but much of that population are Cuban Americans and Venezuelan Americans that respond very well to the Republican Party's harsh rhetoric against Cuba and Venezuela because these tend to be people who fled those regimes to, to, to America. And you know, Florida also has a lot of older voters. Everybody's racist Fox News watching grandpa retires to Florida. It's a very popular place to, to go. And um, of course, older people vote very reliably. So Florida just has these very, very helpful dynamics if you are a Republican right now, particularly if you're a Republican in the mold of Donald Trump. So it's been easier for DeSantis to prosper there. When he moves to the national stage, he has to appeal to all different kinds of voters who are not necessarily going to be turned on by this same kind of culture war stuff. And also, I mean, I think that one of the really key things that that to me has demonstrated that DeSantis just doesn't really have any steam behind him is that not only has he, he has this strategy that's premised on appealing to those like lesser educated white voters, but currently in every single poll, Trump is just wiping the floor with him among those voters. You know, they are going to want to stick to the genuine article. Like, why would they want to go for some kind of Trump light or some kind of like imitation of Trump when they can just go for, for, for the real thing? And I also don't think that 
you know, what he's doing is very likely to appeal to other voters outside of that group, to, to more moderate voters. Yeah, so there's a couple of things through this, these sort of cultural war policies that I think are not likely to help him in the general election. And the first of those was this migrant fight that he organized. So DeSantis organized a plane to go from Florida to Texas. And from there, it flew a bunch of migrants from Central America to Martha's Vineyard in the Northeast. And there were, I guess, told that that they would have you know, a place to stay and a job on the other end of this flight. But really the purpose of it was for DeSantis to try to you know, send all of these migrants to a blue state where there's all these liberal elites. And according to him and a lot of people on the right, Democrats are in favor of um, immigration reform and more open borders because they're not the ones bearing the brunt of the migration problem, which isn't really true because you know, California, for example, shares a border with Mexico and there's a lot of migrants who go to California, but it's the way that this issue is framed. And so that kind of thing, you know, sending migrants unwittingly on a flight across the country, I don't think is going to be very popular on the national stage. And then the other thing that he's done is he's kind of gone at war with Disney, basically. And uh, Disney essentially criticized the don't say gay law, and now they're facing retaliation for it. So Disney for decades has had this special tax status where they're able to kind of self-govern the area around Disney World in Orlando. And they get a lot of benefits from that. It helps them pay fewer taxes and whatnot. But then in return, they also bring thousands of jobs and a lot of tourism to Florida. And the DeSantis administration is threatening to revoke this special tax status and DeSantis also floated around ideas about building a prison right outside of Disney World. And so now Disney is countersuing and um, they're countersuing under the First Amendment. So saying that it was their free speech to criticize this law and they can't be retaliated against because of that. And so, you know, I think going to war with the happiest place on earth and this company that is a huge corporation, but it's known as, you know, creating entertainment and happiness for children is not really a good strategy for DeSantis. And so these types of policies, they might be effective to an extent with a certain part of the GOP base and the same type of base that we talked about a few episodes ago with, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and other states that are um, creating these kind of anti-woke policies. But on the national stage, I don't think the average Joe is going to be voting for the guy who's just ranting against Disney. Right, and I think this is a really important part of why DeSantis appealed to a certain subset of Republican elites, because kind of the case for DeSantis is that he was the guy who knew how to use the power of the state to really get out there and fight for what people on the right consider to be Christian values or conservative values. So, you know, Trump tweets, but DeSantis actually does stuff. That was kind of the, the, the case for DeSantis. And, you know, he's even been called the American Victor Orban because this is something we had an episode about about a year ago or something that there are many people on the right who really... Uh, idolize the Hungarian leader Viktor Orban. They they see him as someone who, you know, he's not like a libertarian conservative who's just about the free market. He's about using the power of the state to reshape the market and reshape society in accordance with certain values. And you know, this going to war with Disney is part of that, right? That you know, here's like this enormous American success story 
you know, this huge company that's now like one of or the leading producer of global entertainment. And, you know, 20 years ago, conservatives would have said, great, that's a successful corporation. I want it in my state. Today's conservatives say, you know, you're a big business. We don't like you because you don't propagate the values that we think that you should propagate. Now, I completely agree with you, Catherine, that that's, I think, a pretty niche position. Like most Americans know Disney as a beloved creator of children's entertainment. They don't see it as a den of pedophiles. So I think, you know, this is kind of one of those cases where you get or, you know, people on the right, I think they just get worms in their brain from watching too much Fox News, spending too much time around very, very radicalized conservative voters. And maybe that's what you got to do to win a primary nowadays. But then you end up arriving at the general election, looking to the average person like you've just completely left the reservation, right? That, that you're just really out there with a lot of crazy ideas. So you know, the, that's not, that's not working out too well for him. Right. And, and, and also it's undermining the idea that he's effective because actually he seems to generate a lot of opposition and annoy a lot of people without really achieving much, at least in, in, in this Disney fight. I think there's also, so, you know, the, the, the last issue we should probably talk about here is the timing of his campaign. So it seems to me that DeSantis was, someone who's really, really been pushed by a certain subset of Republican media figures and elites who see him, as you said earlier, as a more electable Trump. You know, so the sort of person who writes for like National Review or is, you know, like a right-wing college professor, you know, the sort of person who spends a lot of time uh, in social and cultural circles that are not particularly friendly to Donald Trump, but they remain conservative themselves. They saw in Ron DeSantis somebody who could basically continue the key ideas of Trumpism, but without the toxicity that, that Trump bought. And so they've been pushing him for a long time. But it seems that like that created this kind of bubble of DeSantis, it, it inflated him. And it seems to me that now he actually has kind of a brush with the electorate and the national public that that bubble is starting to deflate. And it's almost like he, he peaked too early, really. He had all of this buzz around him but then it's not actually gone anywhere. Yeah, exactly. And maybe he peaked too early, but also we should remember that he still hasn't announced that he's running yet. And so maybe he also, you know, it's a bit too late for him to at this point, because as you mentioned before, some of his, you know, colleagues or should be friends have already endorsed Trump. And there's a lot of other major donors and politicians in Florida who are either endorsing Trump or if they are those sort of people you talked about earlier who are conservatives but sort of never Trumpers, they you know are endorsing other Republican candidates. And so, yeah, he's at the same time peaked too soon, but also maybe missed the jump, at least for this election. Yeah, because having all that buzz around him created the expectation that he was actually going to do something about it. But then the more he delays and the more he doesn't formally get into the race, the more he furthers this view that he just doesn't have what it takes, right? That he doesn't have um, the, the characteristics of, of, you know, kind of the bravery that you need to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Donald Trump, which is going to be a horrible experience for him if he does do that. So, you know, I I guess he's still going to jump into the primary. I mean, I wouldn't. Like, if I, if I was his advisor, I would say, dude, just wait until 2028, because why do you want to run headfirst into that Trump meat grinder, emerge from it with a much worse reputation among the kind of person that you need in the future to, to win this primary? 
No, just wait. You are not going to take down Donald Trump. But we'll see if he does it or not. Um, we're going to keep on covering the Republican primary as it develops, um, particularly uh, I think it's going to be time soon to revisit Donald Trump. I hate to have to do that, but, you know, it does look to me like he's going to be the, the nominee now potentially the next president of the United States. So we're going to have an episode soon on, on what he's been up to and what his campaign is shaping up to look like. In the meantime, thanks again for listening to America Explained. We hope you enjoyed this episode and please do consider telling a friend about the podcast because that really helps us grow. So thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to America Explained, which is brought to you by host Andy Gawthor and researcher, editorial assistant, and sometimes co-host Catherine Wood. If you like America Explained, please consider checking out our free newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes. That's all for this episode, and I look forward to speaking to you next time.